a new series in, in uh, 1 Timothy. So you would do well to, to keep 1 Timothy open and actually make maybe 1 Timothy the focus of, of this time. Just rereading sometimes, getting, getting 1 Timothy in your spiritual bloodstream so that from Sunday to Sunday we can benefit more and more as we look at this uh, amazing letter. My introduction this morning to the series will take a, a bit longer, so please, please stay with me. But I think it's important in the beginning of the series to also set, set up the, the, whole, the whole series. So, um, I, I have called the series The Grace Church. Um, by doing that, I suppose I was hoping to provoke some reactions, to provoke some questions, um, maybe some of you, more sarcastic folk, I'm not going to point the, the fingers, um, might, be, might be thinking, what an original title. And it's obviously didn't have enough time to reflect, uh, so he went for, the, for an easy option, hence the Grace Church. You know, I need to give a quick title to the series. Uh, let's, let's go with Grace Church. But there might be others, there might be others who would ask, is it going to be about us? Is it going to be about Grace um, uh, International Church? Good question. Or are we going to be learning something specific about the nature of the church? Hence, the Grace Church. Very good question. If yes, why has Anders chosen the book of the Bible that is written to a pastor? about what he has to, to know and what he has to do. So a lot of questions might be just, just in our mind. And whatever your questions or your reactions are, I am very glad. I am very glad. Please do keep asking those questions uh, about the book, about the series to yourselves. Please do keep asking those questions to each other uh, over the church lunch. And, and do keep asking those questions to me also, when you, when, you, uh, when you catch me, but why should we bother with 1 Timothy, really? The big obvious answer is that it is the Word of God, breathed out by Him, as Paul writes in his second letter, to be profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped, for every uh, good work. The big obvious answer, because it's the Word of God, and that's what we do on Sundays. But as we narrow down on 1 Timothy, indeed, it is also about the Grace International Church. It is about us. Yes, it is particularly about the Grace nature of the Church. And just if you are curious, no, I didn't come up with a series title of the cup. Although this is a letter to this young pastor, Timothy, about what he has to know, about what he has to do, the whole church, so to speak, is meant to read it over Timothy's shoulder. Please turn to me and glance with me at the very last verse. Uh, in 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 21. If you have uh, NIV, you're actually privileged because it gives away very quickly. 6.21, grace be with you 
and NIV says all. ESV says just you, so that the Greek you is plural. Praise be with you all. So 1 Timothy is for the whole church in Ephesus and in Riga. And that means we too should be ready. We should be ready to be strengthened by grace this term. I'm excited. I am excited to be strengthened by grace this semester. But it also means that we, we should be ready to be challenged by what we discover in this letter. Will you be ready to change your mind about the church this semester? Will you be ready to, uh, to think differently what it means to be church, to belong to church? So these are going to be some of the challenges we're going to be facing this semester together in 1 Timothy. And lastly, we should engage with 1 Timothy because of the particular nature of our church. Some of us will, will most likely stay in Latvia forever. And you know who you are. You might not be thinking you'll be staying here forever, but the Lord may, may cause that. But a great majority of us will eventually move on. Um, in our life. And that is part of being an international in Riga. We are here only for a time. Or maybe you are someone who is just, just settling in Riga in these days, in this autumn. Either way, what sort of church should you be joining? What sort of church should you be looking for? Yes, yes, I know it, it is the great church that you should be looking for. Of course, of course. But should it be Grace International? I think it's these good questions. What does being the Grace Church entail? So, so brothers and sisters, let, let us start to unpack what lies behind the phrase, the Grace Church, and why it is so crucial to be one, and why we are looking at, at, this, uh, at this, this, this theme, so to speak, from 1 Timothy. The word church isn't um, a spiritual word in itself. Church simply means an assembly of people, but church isn't just any assembly. Take a look at verse 15 in chapter 3. Chapter 3 and 15, arguably Paul's purpose of writing the whole letter. Chapter 3 and verse 15. Well, actually, I'm going to read from 14. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Church is a unique assembly, a household of God, a family of the living God, a unique assembly assembled for a unique <coughs> purpose to reflect what God is doing in this world. But what is God doing in this world? God is in business of saving people. God is in business of saving people from the judgment through the gospel of Christ Jesus. That is a central theme in the letter. Just follow me through the, the four, uh, four verses. Chapter 1 verse 1, God Paul says, God, our saviour, has commanded him, and Christ Jesus, our hope, God saves through Jesus. 
1.15, Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world for what purpose? To save sinners. Chapter 2, verse 3, again, God our Saviour desires all people to be saved. And chapter 4, verse 10, he is the living God who is the Saviour of all people. So God's business in this world is to save sinners. If that is what God does in this world, then the church should reflect that. This work. Tell once again, once in chapter 3, verse 15, Paul wants the church to get behind God's work by being a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now ask Dinus, he's our architect man, what how, how pillar and buttress function. I'm not going to draw up the big diagrams, but as far as I understand, the Grace Church is the church that, like a buttress, holds up the pillar, and the pillar holds out, holds out the gospel truth to the lost world. God saves sinners from judgment through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church is, has to get behind this work, reflect it. You should be looking for the Grace Church. And that is exactly what I wrote to Manuel and Anna, actually, a week ago. So we exchanged a few messages. I was inquiring about how they are settling in in Brussels and have they found the church. And Manuel told me, um, very encouragingly, that they have been visiting. They have been attending free churches. Um, and now they are praying for God's guidance. And I said, I said, pray we must by all means. But remember, remember that God has already laid down for us what we should be looking as we are searching for a church to join. That is a church that recognizes and confesses God our Savior and Jesus Christ our hope. God saves sinners through the gospel. And that is a church that is an outward-looking church, not preoccupied with inner squabbles, but looking out to hold uh, um, up and hold out the gospel truth to the lost world so that God would save sinners from the judgment. There is, of course, a lot more to be said about the church to consider. We will touch on that in, in, in the coming weeks, don't worry. But today, though, I want us to see two things from verses 1 to 11. That being the Grace Church, first of all, means refuting the error and teaching the truth. So let's look at verses 1 to 11 uh, in turn. And, and, and firstly, let's look at the church's a task of refuting the error. Now, Apostle Paul entrusts his young associate, his true child uh, in, in the faith, to troubleshoot the church in Ephesus. Obviously, we quickly see that there is a problem. The church in Ephesus shouldn't be surprised about their situation, though. Now, if you have been uh, for, for a few weeks or uh, a month's in Grace Church, you might remember the talk from Acts 20, where Paul warned the Ephesian elders about the danger. He said, I know, in, in Acts 20, I know that after my departure, 
savage wolves will come, and from amongst yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things. And that is exactly what is happening now in Ephesus as we open up this letter. Timothy, therefore, must charge, verse 3 and verse 6, certain persons not to teach any different doctrine from what Paul gave. What is Paul specifically concerned about? I suppose we can say that Paul sees grace in danger. Verse 2, grace, mercy, and peace that comes from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, is in danger in Ephesus. Verse 11, instead of teaching the Old Testament law that is in accordance with the apostolic gospel, these certain persons engaged in myths, in endless genealogies, desiring to be teachers of the law without any actual clue what they're doing. And that is why we can say that what we have here in Ephesus is most likely a sort of Jewish heresy. Regarding myths, Paul elsewhere in Titus uh, refers to them as being a Jewish myths. And the preoccupation with genealogies is linked to the Jewish book of Jubilees, most likely. And it is not hard to picture how, how they turn the, the family tree there, those teachers, from being a, a mark of God's faithfulness to being a mark of whether you are in or whether you're out. Now, in Jesus' days, you might remember from the Gospels, uh, the Pharisees took great pride in their perceived family tree. If, if you recall a conversation with Jesus, they were very much boasting uh, to be children of Abraham. Abraham is our father, so we are well, we are good, we're good. Ironically, Jesus said to them quite the opposite. The devil is your father. How come? And the scribes and the Pharisees were busy teaching, uh, for example, Mark 7, as doctrines, the commandments of men. Very, uh, very outward things, how to clean things, how to wash hands, and, and all, all the rest of it. And Jesus called them, what? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. You acknowledge with lips, you're very far from God in your hearts. And same is with the certain teachers of the law, of law in Ephesus. We know from chapter 4, some of the content of that teaching, they forbid marriage. They required abstinence from foods and so on. Presumably telling these, these Christians, these young Christians, that observing these commandments... And others, you know, that will bring them closer to God. That will make them more holy, more pleasing to God. And Paul says, verse 4 of, of, of chapter 4, it is pure speculation. Oh, sorry, it's um, of chapter 1, it is pure speculation. That's a speculation. It diverts to vain discussion. It's unprofitable. Now, Paul clearly, clearly sees grace in danger. In fact, Paul, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1, boldly states 
that such teaching is the departure from faith. Teaching man's commandments is departure from faith and devotion to even stronger deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Paul is very strong, very clear, very direct. Now Paul is referring to works righteousness. Do this and you'll be okay. Don't do this, don't, don't eat this, and you'll be more, more holy, more acceptable, and so on. Works righteousness is against faith. It's against gospel. And works righteousness is actually against law itself. Now it sounds uh, weird, but just to follow me through. Law, law is a body of teaching that Moses received from God for the people of Israel. And that body of teaching is good. Just, just look at verse 8. Paul says it is good. It's good. Actually, verse 10, it is equal to sound doctrine. And it is accordance with the gospel of God. Verse 11. But it is true only if, verse 8, one uses law lawfully. So let's read from verse 9. What is a lawful use of law? Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers, the sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers. Now, law wasn't given so that the people of God would feel good about themselves. That was never law, law's intention. Never. Law was never meant to be used in this way. Quote, thank you, God, that I'm not like these guys, being always late 15 minutes for the Sunday service. Thank you, God. Your, your law is great. Or, thank you, God, that I'm not like these others sleeping around. Now, it's works righteousness, isn't it? Jesus calls, calls that hypocrisy. You might not be sleeping around, but there is something. There must be something else. Now, Paul calls, calls such thinking a teaching that is demonic. It's a demonic teaching. How many lives it has destroyed and thrown in depression when the men are taught, do this and you'll be okay, or don't do this. You'll be more holy than... It's demonic. Whereas if applied correctly, the law simply reveals how we all are lost, how lost we are, how sinful we are. You might have recognized that this line of thinking, God, I know my struggle with discipline, you know my struggle with godliness, you know my struggle with temptations, there are many. The law condemns me, I know that. But please have mercy on me, the sinner. What did Jesus say to this kind of broken heart in the temple? Do you remember? Jesus said such prayer was heard and the one who prayed was justified. 
the lawful use of law. So the, the grace church should watch out for the false teaching. I know that the Timothy must watch out. But as the church reads, it should be ready. It should be alert. We should watch out for that together. Watch out for the false teaching. Was that your first thought when you were considering the Grace International? What, you know, what, what sort of church should I join in rigor? Was that your first church? I need to make sure that's the church that values sound doctrine, refutes the error. Now, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if your first considerations were a bit more positive, you know. Uh, is there um, in Riga a community that, share, that shares common language? Or maybe um, shares common faith? A community that understands each other, uh, that are very much alike, and shares common faith. Great! I see Google Grace International. Let me check them out. I think they are right. Um, you know, and nothing is wrong with that. It's, I think it's a very good start. I actually so enjoy their witness from Sunday to Sunday. People from all nations coming together in common faith. But I suppose my aim in our series is to drill down as to what a community of faith really is. Hence, Grace Church. It is the household of the living God that holds up, holds out the truth of the gospel to the lost world. The gospel in Paul's words of the glory of the blessed God. That is a family that is characterized not by self-righteousness, God thank you that I'm not like these others, but by Christ's righteousness of God our Saviour and Christ Jesus, our hope. And that will, in turn, mean that the Grace Church will refute different, any different doctrine. Now, how do you feel about that when you hear that we must constantly be out there also refuting any different doctrine? Christians sometimes get very uncomfortable about such language, especially in, in our in our secular, very much secular age, that you that you have to say, tell someone, you know, you're wrong. I'm I strongly disagree with you on this. Christians get slightly uncomfortable about that. It's perceived unloving. It's perceived as bigoted. Do you sometimes feel that way? Not unsure that you should speak up. We all sometimes do. But you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to feel that way because it's not true. In fact, it is exactly the opposite of what Paul says in verse 5. Glance in verse 5, the aim of our charge. The aim of our charge to refute any different doctrine is what? Is love. Is love. So don't, don't be deceived by, you know, being perceived unloving or uh, bigoted. The aim of our child is love. You're refuting the error is one of the most loving things the Grace Church can do. And the second point, teach the truth. Sound doctrine 
and its aim. Again, verse 5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The Grace Church is a church where the truth about God our Saviour, Christ Jesus our hope, is constantly reinforced. Why? Because God is in the business of saving sinners from judgment through the gospel of Christ. And that, my friends, that is the most loving thing you can ever do to anyone. Tell about God's heart, God's love for the broken world. Now, Paul is absolutely confident in that although it hasn't been like that, um, that always, Paul now is confident. And that is why he will include his little testimony. We'll take a close look at that next week. Um, but take a peek now in, in, in chapter 1, verse 13. Paul is very much confident that aim of his charge is love. Paul says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. We will take a closer look at that statement um, next Sunday. But isn't that an amazing description of, of God's love and what God does? I know that we're not Paul. We're not Paul. We're not the apostle of Christ. We're not directly commissioned by God the Saviour and Christ Jesus. But if we would go around the room, and maybe if we would share our stories around the church lunch after the service, we would find something very similar. What is your story? What is your story of experiencing the love of God? Now, back in autumn of 2003, I had recently become a a Christian, in a church that's just down the road, actually. I knew what I was like before very well, and there were others in the church who knew what I was like before. So when Madder and my wife and I, we started going out, there were other friendly, friendly girls who whispered in her ear, do you know who he is? Do you know what he is like? And there was some truth in that. Before I was working for a bar in the old town amongst the spoiled rich kids that enjoyed the nightlife, and I myself didn't mind the nightlife uh, of the old town, but what these others couldn't, couldn't get their head around was that Jesus actually transforms. Jesus can transform a person's life radically. Look again at verse 5. How he can purify one's heart, wash it clean. How he cleanses the conscience that the, the guilt doesn't constantly condemn you. 
although the sin is present, and how he creates a genuine, sincere faith that praises Jesus. They couldn't get their head around. And that is why now I too could testify, even back in 2003, to the grace of our Lord that overflowed for me with faith and love in Jesus. Now, if you are a Christian, and most of us here are Christian today, I believe, you will, you'll be able to testify to that too. Why is it so encouraging to listen to the testimonies of others? Because it bears witness to the power, to the goodness, to the love of our God, the Saviour. So why not use some of the time, as we meet and chat with people uh, around the church lunch, to share some of those stories, how we've experienced the Lord pouring His love on us, His grace in our hearts, that transferred us from darkness to light. Why not use some time? You see grace, mercy, and peace that comes from God the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, is something that you cannot, absolutely cannot get anywhere else. You can get the, the high-level entertainment, education, skills, a lot of things, all of the things, anywhere else. You can even learn Latvian outside of the church. So. But there is one thing that you cannot get anywhere else. Grace, mercy, peace. That comes from God. So, in summary, in confessing God our Saviour and Christ Jesus our hope, we negatively refute all other teachings that are works righteousness that throw anyone in despair. It only promotes speculation, vain discussion, and division. It turns the church inward, inward. But in refuting error, we act in most loving, loving way. Because positively, the aim, the aim of this charge is love that issues from pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. An outward-looking church which seeks to hold up and fold out the gospel truth to the lost world. That church will never endanger the gospel. That church will never endanger the gospel. So, Grace Church, let's make the gospel our priority. Let's make the gospel our continuous priority. And let's pray. The aim of our charge is love. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your amazing heart, your amazing grace for this lost world. You are, we confess, God our Saviour. You have sent Christ Jesus, our hope, in this world to save us from the judgment 
and for relationships with you, Father. And so as we start to think about what sort of church we are, what should we do? We would rejoice, first of all, in your gospel, in your salvation. And so as we do that, we would, we would see that any other teaching, any other doctrine that is not grace puts the gospel in danger. So please guard us against inward squabbles, against legalism, against works righteousness, and help us throw all of ourselves at Jesus' feet and at his mercy, as did Paul and many, many others. And continue proclaiming your truth about your love, your grace, your mercy, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Help us make this our continuous priority in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Mm -hmm.